0: All right, I'm going to invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to the letter of 1 Timothy, the letter of 1 Timothy, uh, sometimes called the epistle of 1 Timothy, sometimes just called 1 Timothy. Uh, some backgrounds would say 1 Timothy, but it is in the New Testament. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, it's going to be on page 1051, but it will also be on the screen behind me. And I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God in the reading of His Word. We're going to go ahead and just jump right in today. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. So I want you to hear the Word of the Lord and follow along with us. First of all then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. For kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, as a testimony at the proper time. For this I was appointed a herald, an apostle, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without our anger or arguments. Let us pray. Lord God, today we have heard from your word and we are pleading on our behalf to your grace that you would make yourself known in a way that, that shakes us, that shapes us and that sends us out for your name. For your grace, your gospel, and your glory. It is in the mighty name of Jesus we pray this prayer. Amen. Alright, you may be seated. So today, we are going to be talking about prayer. And we've just read from this letter a command to be a church that is a people of prayer. Now you may be asking... Why would you preach a message on prayer? I mean, we're all Christians. We're all people that somewhat grew up within a church or within the earshot of a church or maybe you knew somebody that once went to church. And And so prayer is kind of one of those things that you kind of already know, yeah, I'm supposed to do that. In fact, you may be so wondering why I'm preaching on prayer today because you're one of those guys that it doesn't make any difference whether you are eating a taco wrapped up in in that purple and white wrapper or a bowl of ramen or a mighty feast it doesn't matter what it is when you get that cup of coffee you're like praying the lord's blessing over that that may be you of course in this room you could be someone that says yeah yeah i know i'm supposed to pray that's like a given but knowing and doing are two different things in my life in fact, if I were honest, I would say that my prayer regularity sometimes is focused when I'm at somebody else's house and they're the people that pray over the meal or when I'm in a church facility. Other than that, my uttered prayers may be, Dear Lord, give me patience, help me not kill this driver in front of me. That extemporaneous, spontaneous prayer that, you know, many of us do to the glory of God, right? Okay, so that is the reason why we're looking at this together. And even if you feel like you are a champion at prayer, and and I'm not trying to like toot anybody's horn, but that may be you. I was going to ask people to raise their hand, but that would be a little bit weird, right? We all agree that would be a little bit weird. Okay, but today we're going to look at this together because those that feel that they have a very fervent, zealous, deep, passionate emotional devoted prayer life hopefully that will also demonstrate and show itself to those that they would say that is not even how i would categorize my prayer life and i'm going to be very blunt and honest here i'm of the second i'm of the second I know that people want their pastor to be super devoted to prayer. And I pray each day. But I I would be honest to feel that, man, my prayer life is not anywhere where it needs to be. It's not anywhere where it needs to be. And so whenever someone says, how's your prayer life going? I'm like, man, not good. It's not that I don't believe in what I'm saying. It's not that I don't believe in who I'm saying it to. But I see that my prayer life and what is declared in Scripture, no, no, they ain't one and the same. They ain't even close. And that's why we're looking at this together. That's another reason why we're looking at this together. Another aspect for looking at this text together is we're in this sermon series called Growing Up Together. And whenever you're growing up together according to Scripture, you're going to understand what God wants by listening to what God says. And that comes by knowing the word of God and hearing the voice of God. And I want you to know, they both go together. They cannot be split apart. Because sometimes in your prayer life, you can start thinking and being distracted. And maybe it's not the voice of the Lord. Maybe it's just the voice of your belly saying, hey, when are we going to eat? Or maybe it's the voice of something else saying, you don't really mean that. Or maybe it's saying, when are you going to be done? And you're not listening to the voice of the Lord, you're listening to the voice of self, you're listening to the voice of the world, you're listening to the voice of the enemy. And so we need to make sure that when we're hearing the voice of the Lord, here's how you know. When God speaks, He will never say to you something that is contrary to what He has already said in His Word. That's why we have to listen to both, so we know who we're listening to, that we're so used to having the voice of the shepherd speak to us through His Word, that when it comes to these times of prayer, we're able to actually understand this is the voice of my shepherd. I mean, that's what Jesus said in John chapter 10. He said, uh, my sheep know me, and they know my voice. But he speaks to them, and they follow him. So if we're going to be his sheep, we certainly better listen to his voice. But when we get to this letter... We may have questions. So if you're not really knowledgeable about the Bible and how things are laid out, the the New Testament is laid out with the Gospels being the very first things. In other words, it's right after the Old Testament because it's saying this is the promises that were made by the prophets... This is the, the, the necessity of the law. This is the wisdom of the Proverbs and the Psalms. And they are completely fulfilled in Jesus. The Gospels are first in the New Testament. And then you get the history of, because of Jesus, this is what was happening. This is the pivot and turning point in the world because of Jesus. It's a historical moment for the church. But then it's followed by a series of letters and these letters are generally written to churches in multiple cities. The, the church at Rome, the church at Corinth, the, church, the churches in Galatia, the church in Ephesus, the church in Philippi, the church in Thessalonica, the church in Colossae. And you get to these cities. But then you get to some letters that are written from the Apostle Paul, who was a missionary. He was converted by the Lord Jesus, once a persecutor of the church, had a moment of encounter with the resurrected Jesus and he was forever changed and was called to share that message to the world. And he's writing these letters to these cities. But then you get to these names, Timothy and Titus. And you say, well, Paul was writing to these cities, these churches. Now he's just writing to one individual. Well, he's writing to these individuals who are pastors of churches, Timothy being the pastor that was left in charge of the people, or one of the pastors, excuse me, of the church at Ephesus. Titus being the pastor of the church in Crete, on the island of Crete. And so he's writing to them, and writing to them so that they will get the message to the people. That that what God wants to speak to them, it would also be spoken to the people. So when we get to these letters, I don't want you thinking, oh, that's a pastoral letter. Skip, because I'm not a pastor. That's not the point there. It is written to a pastor, but it's helping us all understand what it means to be led by the Lord Jesus. And Paul writes to Timothy and and he tells them about the reason that he left him there in Ephesus and, and that he must be faithful even in the midst of all kinds of chaotic scenarios. People that want to be wise in their own estimation but need to know the Lord more. Paul's telling them, Him to be patient and to be faithful and to continue being true to Jesus. But He doesn't just give Him the pep rally. Just keep going. You can do it. I know you're able for this job. Those are good, right? How many of you like the attaboys every now and then? You can raise your hand for that. That's not weird. I I love an attaboy. But you know what's also helpful along with the attaboy? Attaboy. When someone who has been there before you or someone that's in charge to lead you can help you walk through it and lead you. Not just, oh, just keep going. But let me give you some help. Let me, let me help be there for you in this growing process that not only applies to you, but applies to the church. And let me show you what that looks like. And the very first thing that Paul says to Timothy is first of all, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for everyone. So here is what we see as the basic admonition. All right. This is the basic instruction. The basic encouragement. If if, if it's a first of all here here's just let me break it down for you in one moment. Pray. Pray. If you want to grow up together, if you want to know what God is saying and what God is doing, it is going to require an ever-growing activity of prayer. That's the basic admonition. The basic instruction. He says, I am urging that your petitions, these requests that you have of God, carry them to God. I am urging that your prayers, this, this act of devotion, You would carry it to God. That this intercession for those people in your lives, whether you like them or not, take them to God. And that your thanksgiving would be brought to God, but it would be brought to God on behalf of everyone. For the kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So what is this saying to us? As we look at this basic admonition, let's, let's break it down a little bit further. Because if you're like me, you're a little slow sometimes. I know what I'm supposed to do, but tell me again. Amen? You ever ever felt like that before? Alright, so let's break it down in even like smaller space. This is not me trying to be um, insulting. This is just saying, I know what this feels like. First of all, the church is to be a people of prayer. Of foremost importance. It doesn't mean the prayer is larger than the Gospel. The Gospel is everything, but because of the Gospel, we, in practice, are people of prayer. That as you measure your, your, your growth as a follower of Christ, one of the greatest first and foremost indicators is your activity, and your dependency of prayer. And we as a church are called in a basic admonition to be people who pray. And then, not only to people who pray, but pray to God. Let me be clear with this. That we remember who we're talking to. And if your prayer is something that is disrespectful, that is just fully self-centered, self-motivated, and it's not really remembering who you're talking to, I'd be careful calling that a prayer. I'd be careful. I'm not saying it's it's absolutely wrong because I've read the Psalms. There's a lot of imprecatory prayers where people are in a really bad mood about some other dude and, and they're being rude with the Lord. And yes, I just had to do that because it was it was there and I needed some levity in the moment to rhyme. But it's true, if you read the Psalms, read through them, there's some people, there's some absolute rude prayers where they're praying, God, I hate this moment, I hate this person, just kill them. Doesn't sound very churchy, does it? But that's where they're praying, but many of those Psalms, that's how they start, but then they get to this resolution that they're like, but nevertheless, I understand that all authority is in your hands and that there's a time for this. That, that, that there's a purpose to this incredibly ridiculous scenario that I find myself in as I look at it. That it's not so ridiculous to you. Because they start in this praise remembering who they're praying to. And as they're praying to God, they remember that prayer is not wishful thinking. Prayer is not getting in to good vibes. Prayer is not just hoping you strike it rich with a lottery. Prayer is a conversation with God that requires us presenting Him with our thanksgivings, our petitions, our intercessions. And then look at this. It's not only to be a people of prayer and a people who pray to God, but it's also to be a people who pray to God for all others now if we're honest i'm trying to be a little honest here there are certain people we like to pray for am i right and there's certain people we would not want to pray for we just wouldn't i know that in this day and age it's it's very popular to to jump on certain bandwagons, depend on, on where you are in our nation as far as political convictions. But think about who Paul is telling Timothy and the church to pray for. This would be during the days of Claudius and Caligula. This would be nearing the days of Vespasian and Titian. This would be even further coming up in the days of Domitian and Nero. People that if you read in the early church, these kings they're praying for, these were not just like, oh, they're just kind of out of character. These were Christian killers. Pray for them. Pray for the kings. Pray for the rulers. Pray for all those in authority. And when the Bible uses the word all, it does not mean some. Pray. Pray. To God for all people and then pray with a goal that we would be people who pray to God on the behalf of all others to advance the gospel to them. That the goal of that prayer is not only so that God would hear our prayer and that we would have grace in our time of need, but that God in hearing our prayer would do something so significant that the gospel is advanced in God's glory. Is known. Chewbacca, nice. Even he agrees that we would be a people who pray to God for the advance of all others. That's what it's saying, so that we may lead a tranquil, and quiet life in all godliness. That, that that the godliness of the Lord would be seen in His people and in dignity. That it would be evident and, 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 and have its way in the life around us. This is the basic admonition for prayer that sets us up for some other things. So you, we see Paul's command. He's like, okay, well, Paul, what's his authority? Okay. It's only an apostle called by the living King Jesus. So maybe we should listen to him. But... Let's look what the Bible says even further beyond this, this, this root that we see that Paul's not just writing a letter and trying to be super spiritual, but this is grounded in biblical foundation. So we see a biblical provocation that the Bible's even saying, yeah, this is a good thing. Listen to Paul right here. Verses three through six, it says, this is good. It's not okay. It's, not, it's all right when it's convenient. It's, it's good. Another way around it. prayer is good. And not only is it good for you and a good thing to do, prayer pleases God. It pleases Jesus. I'm going to tell you if something's good and it pleases King Jesus, then King Jesus's people should be doing the good thing that pleases King Jesus because it's good. It pleases King Jesus. And it's a part of his well-being that he wants this to be an activity because he wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That they would know that there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom and a testimony for all at the proper time. Now, I want to break this down just a little bit because, once again, I I'm a little young and dumb and stupid too, and sometimes I need someone to break it down for me. And if you're ever in my place, then, then you're welcome to understand where I'm at. When we look at this, we say, this is, the Bible says it's good to do this. Then it starts talking about how God wants everyone to be saved. Well, if, if people get hung up on that. And they start wondering, well, if God is God and he wants everyone to be saved, why does he just snap his finger, do the whole Avenger Thanos thing and and everybody's saved? Poof, we all go to heaven. Why doesn't God do that? Why is that not the way? I need to warn you once again, you are not God. and You do not know what is best that is bigger than God but here's what we see let's break that down and see what we 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 can learn from it we see that there's a biblical provocation for this and there's a reason first god does indeed desire the salvation of all people the bible is very clear that god desires this but god is holy and just and so this desire does not mean that all people of the world will automatically be saved it it doesn't mean it's just automatically going to happen And this desire does not mean that God's will has been thwarted. That that because God desires it and yet it doesn't happen, that well, does that mean He's lesser than God? And this desire doesn't mean His will can be thwarted. But it does mean... And it tells us here, it gives us this news, that in the goodness of God, that pleases His holiness in all of its righteousness, all of its justice, all of its goodness, all of its grace... That God loves all people. And He has done something in humanity that would provide the avenue, that would provide the way. And yet He does not force the way. That He sees humanity in in all of its sin and that and because of their sin before he ever did something they were already destined for hell and, and in his love and his grace he says i will do what is necessary for it to be thwarted but they must come to the knowledge of my grace and they must respond to it which tells god's people this we must be out there sharing about the knowledge of god's grace so that in us making that message known they would know the savior and then respond to him So that the way can be thwarted. So that the way can be changed in their life. This desire shows us that God loves all the people of the world. Because He is the one God who says, I will be the one mediator. I will be the man Christ Jesus. And I will come to live the perfect life that they could not live to die the death they deserve to die to fulfill what was necessary. I will do that for them. And I will give myself as a ransom that is big enough for all. And it will be a testimony. And we carry that with us. You see the biblical provocation for our prayer there. That God desires the salvation of all people. We see a second reason, and that is God deserves the honor of all people. That Jesus, He gave Himself as a ransom for all. A testimony at the proper time. That this testimony would be living and vibrant in His people. That, in other words, with Jesus making this known, as people come to know the truth, and that the goal was that they could live a life of godliness and dignity, that God shows that He values over them, they would understand that the whole intention is that we would see that God is worthy of our worship. In fact, here's a big deal. Worship itself is the fuel of our prayer life. Think about it. Worship itself is the fuel of our prayer life. If we don't think going to God with our scenarios, with our intercessions for other people, with our thanks, with our petitions... If we don't think going to God is worth it, then we don't think God is worthy of worship. I know you don't like hearing that. I don't like hearing that. I've already confessed to you, this is not where I am. But nevertheless, it is there. Worship is the fuel in our prayer life. And it's particularly the fuel in our prayer life for the world. Because we're going, in that moment, if we believe God desires the salvation of all people, that's why He did what He did through the message of the Gospel, and that we believe He deserves the honor of all people, then we know, God, You are worth my prayer for that person. And also, we understand that that worship is the goal of our prayer for the people of the world. That, That we want them to come to a place where they too worship the Lord. And we should be praying for people to come to know Christ. We should be desperate in that prayer. And we should wholeheartedly believe, believe that God who can change the heart of a sinner, a wretch like me, can change the heart of a sinner, a wretch like them. He can do it. And if you don't believe that, you don't believe God is God. Because you're saying there's something God is incapable of doing. You're saying there's a sinner He is unable to save. You're saying there's a life that He does not value. You're saying that Jesus did not count for that person. And Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, he's saying the people you should be praying for are not just the people you like. Or not just the people that look and talk and, and, and you would be familiar with their customs. You should be praying for all, even if they're doing the most detestable things that break your heart. Pray for them that God would save them. Because God deserves not only the honor of our worship and our prayer, He deserves the honor and worship of their prayer too. Because He's Lord of all. The other reason that's there in this biblical provocation is that God died for the rescue of all people. This is how we know that there's a biblical provocation. Why would Jesus do what Jesus did if He wasn't going to save? If He wasn't coming to fulfill that which the Old Testament law promised? In sending a prophet who would rise up and lead his people, if it wasn't what the, the book of Jeremiah would say, that a new covenant will come that'll that'll restore us. If it wasn't like the Psalm said, of the one they would cry out, that he would be forsaken of God and stricken by men. If he wasn't doing it for the reason that he said he was doing it. That God loved the world so much that. He sent His only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. You see, there's a reason that we pray for people. Obviously, the the first reason is that God desires this salvation for all people. He does. We see that He deserves the honor of all people, but we see He died. God died for the rescue of all people. And this is the One uniqueness. This is where Paul really hammers in. There is one God and one mediator between God and humanity. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all. He didn't give somebody else. He gave Himself. He makes this distinctiveness here. and It it, it cuts away all the other clutter. If anyone's ever confused, there is only one way to salvation and that is through the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts chapter 4 tells us that there is no other name under heaven by which men may be saved. Why is that? Because there's no one else who did what Jesus did so that we may be saved. Jesus is unique in who He is. He's the God-man, fully God, fully man. He's unique in what He did that, that while others could make great declarations that knew the Lord and were speaking in the Lord's Spirit, only Jesus did that and was God Himself and willingly went to the cross for us. Jesus Christ is unique in all that He is, what He does, and what He is continuing to do. So we see here a basic admonition. A basic encouragement. First of all, do this. When you see the biblical provocation that, that the Bible has a foundation for this activity. It has set it as a part of our life. But then you see the blatant connection that Paul brings it back around. Why an ongoing prayer life is so good. Because some of us, if we're honest... I've had enough with this, this with people about this very scenario that I know that there are people that still struggle with it constantly. Why should I pray if God already knows the answer? Why should I pray if God's going to do what He's going to do anyways? Why should I spend time? Why should I just sit there and say, God, I'll just be happy with whatever You do? And twiddle my thumbs in the meantime. You see the blatant connection here. Paul says in verses 7-8, through For this I was appointed a herald, and apostle, I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. In other words, he's going to connect this. He says this is why I'm sharing this out loud. I'm not trying to conceal this. This is why I was sent to plant churches among the nations. And this is why I continue to teach this. We are called to preach the gospel to the peoples for whom we pray. I dare say, I wonder if we're really scared to pray for someone or to pray deeply because we know that might mean we have to share with someone very passionately and openly i wonder at times like i know what it's like to pray in general god be with the harvest god work in the mission field god help that neighborhood when it comes to the prayer god help bob i meet bob every day or at least once a week and we talk about the weather or we talk about sports or we talk about the job, or we talk about the neighborhood, or we talk about uh, the next uh, vacation, or the one I just came from, but I don't talk to Bob about Jesus. I can't pray for Bob. I'll pray for the masses, but if I pray for the one, God, you're not going to let that one go on my mind, are you? Because we must preach the gospel to the peoples for whom we pray. That's why I've been asking you and, and, and many churches have been a part of this who's your one strategy that, that it'll just get it from the, the big periphery to say who has God placed in your network where your little geography encounters each day or your family encounters each day or your vocation encounters each day or your education encounters each day. Because if we see God as the sovereign one who is mighty as God and He's placed us strategically just as He had placed Timothy strategically in Ephesus, just as He had placed Paul strategically in the places and moved him around but kept Timothy where he was at, why would we be mistaken to think, well, God, You might have put Bob in my life for a reason. And I don't know who your Bob is and I'm not talking about a Bob specifically here. I know we have some Bobs. I'm grateful for our Bobs. But think about it. We want God to save so-and-so. But are we speaking to so-and-so? God save him. Are you going to talk to him? No! Why not? We must preach the Gospel to the peoples for whom we pray. And when we preach the Gospel, we're telling them what it means to belong to Jesus. What it means to know Him as the Lord of all, but also the Father who rescues the perishing. What it means to believe in Jesus. That this following Jesus is an act of faith. And no, it's not an act of faith where when we walk into the door of a church building, we check our brains at the door and we pick them up when we leave. No, it's a faith that engages mind, heart, body, soul. And it's not just a Sunday morning activity where I pick up my card, here's my faith time, I leave my card, it's done for the week. No, it carries and goes with us because the convictions in our faith are so strongly held and reinforced by God's Word. And the voice of the Lord in his, in our prayer. We talk about what it means to become through Jesus and how he shapes our life. That this wasn't just something where I'm getting my insurance card for, for heaven to escape hell. But my life is, is not just settled as I'm a believer. It's that I'm a follower of Jesus. And as he leads me, wherever he leads me, however he leads me, through whatever he leads me, whenever he leads me, I will go and i know that journey that walk is going to define me not just my destiny on the other end i'm not just fitted for heaven i am being shaped for and by jesus each day until that final day we must show them what it means to be sent by jesus how will our people, how will our children know what it means to carry on the mission if the generations before them do not carry on the mission? They've got to see us and learn from us to do it. And I'm thankful that God has continued to provide that. I'm, I'm thankful when I look over this this community. I'll be honest, I'm thankful that I see little ones That are below the age of 10 and and teenagers and and 20 and 30 year olds and 40 year olds and 50 year olds and 60 year olds and 70 year olds and 80 year olds. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful wherever they bloom out, we have 9 year olds. Because we're all meant to learn from one another. And as we learn from one one another, we're meant to be sent out together. We must preach the gospel to the peoples for whom we pray. We must pray with purity before God as we preach to peoples, though. Some of our worst fears come to this whole area. Well, God, if I pray for my Bob and then I preach to my Bob, what if Bob knows me? What if Bob knows the ugliness? The disobedience to you. The disrespect for you that I don't live. What about that? I'm scared that I'm not that good enough of a witness. I've had that fear. I'll be honest. I've been there. I've looked at my life at times, especially as an early believer, whenever I was just getting really started in the faith. And knowing how wishy-washy I was. But here's the thing about grace. If that's you today and you feel despicable and and like, oh, I don't know about that, I'm a little wary. Here's the thing about grace. It heals and forgives and changes. So you can say, all right, God, I I, I know this, but my life isn't holy. So I don't know if I can tell my Bob about you, the holy God. Well, that's the good thing about grace. You come to a holy God and he says, all right. How about today you start getting holy? How about today you're able to start lifting up holy hands, not because you cleaned them and made yourself right, but because I cleaned them and make yourself right. And then seeing that in your life, something is new. That whenever you pray for other people, when you preach the message to other people, they're seeing a new life, a, a new grace, a transformation that's coming because you know the living God who done a new work in your life. I can't do anything about your yesterday. I can't. I can't change your yesterday. You can't change mine. But I can tell you about the Lord that can change you today. But it's going to take a response and repentance to Him. And this connection is preaching the gospel to the people we pray and pr- preaching them with purity. That, that we're preaching from a new standpoint. I'm not saying you're going to get it right all the time. I don't get it right all the time. But Jesus can change you but you must trust him you must obey him and as you pray and as you preach as your life is being purified I pray that you would pray peace with others as you preach the gospel to them it says I want men in every place to pray lifting up holy hands those purified hands and to pray without anger or argument. In other words, we're not praying because we're vindictive and God's making me pray for you. That's not it. We're not praying because I don't like what you're doing, so I'm going to pray for you. You're not praying just to stir up strife, being like, uh-oh, I'll pray for you. You're praying because I desperately want you to know the peace that God gave me that though I did not deserve it, I was a sinner in rebellion to Jesus Christ. But what He did on the cross, He did for me. And someone made that message known to me. And it changed my life. Because the God that did that on the cross, He's still alive. And He changed me and He can change you. And He can give you peace where there was no peace. He can purify a soul that was damned and destined to hell. He can transform its life. but I want you to know that so that I'm telling you it. Because I don't want to miss an opportunity that where I was meant to pray for you and to preach that message to you that I was disobedient. I want you to know it. And as God works in that prayer life, our desires are drawn closer to His and we grow. So let's have a little talk with Jesus and grow with Him. Let's pray. Lord God, today, I'm thankful for Your people gathering here. It is a wonderful, wonderful act of faithfulness. It is an act of giving our attention to You and and to being obedient to that which You've called us to. And it is my prayer in this moment that it has been a time of encouragement that would stir us forward to be faithful together. I'm praying that it is a time where that which needed to be planted in our soul through Your Word, it was planted and it would grow and and You would cause the increase. And I'm praying that because of this day, we are not the same as we were yesterday And tomorrow we will not be the same as we are today. That that you would start something afresh in your people. That the growth you cause would be that of vitality and vibrancy and beauty and attractiveness. And health. And wholeness. That people would be drawn to us to say, what is going on in your life? And we will have no reply but Jesus. Jesus is doing something new in me. I pray that for your church. I pray that for your people right now. I pray that for those in this room that need to respond to your grace, your gospel, and your glory. Show them what it means to belong to you. Help them understand what it means to believe in you. Shape them as they are becoming disciples to share your image and send them out as the heralds the proclaimers of the glory of the king have your way in this time lord jesus amen i'm going to be down here at the front and i don't know what you need to do in this time maybe you need to spend some more time in prayer having a little talk with jesus and that's okay maybe you have need to have a big talk with jesus and that's okay too but if you if you need to pray where you're at, or, or you need to make these steps a place of prayer, please feel welcome to. And I'm going to be here at the front, and I, and I want you to know that if if you have questions about your next step with the Lord, maybe it's your very first step in trusting Him, and saying I need peace with God. Just show me first what I need to do there. Just as the people of Acts did. I'll be here to help. If there's some other need that you have. Maybe following God in obedience to something He's calling you to, to to baptism, to to a, a, a place of leading and serving. Maybe you just need someone to pray with you about your Bob. I'll pray with you about that. But whatever it is you need to do, please follow the Lord. And if I can help you in that next step, i make myself available. You follow Him.